Hey friends, this is Holly Bame Lytle, and you're listening to Isaac's Autism in the Wild podcast, where we focus on topics related to raising loved ones touched by autism and its impact on relationships and family. I'll be sharing some of my personal parenting experiences, raising my son Isaac, who passed away in 2007, as well as an entirely different parenting experience as I now raise my son Caleb, who never ceases to blow my mind with his beautiful autism perspectives. So grab a drink and join me as I interview this week's panel of exceptional autism parents. All right, thanks for joining us for this episode of Isaac's Autism Wild. And this is a little bit of a heavy topic that we're talking about today. So the, the topic is, should neurotypical siblings be part of the lifelong care solution for our children with autism spectrum disorders? And then we also have Randy Johnson with Lilac City Law. Um, and your, let's talk about this just real quick in terms of what your practice does, what you particularly focus on. We were talking about it before. Um, we went live. You just recently now are... We offer help with guardianships, and um, I am also a, a guardian ad litem appointed by... And Spokane explain Council. what the guardian ad litem is, because sure. I don't know that everybody knows what that means. So very, very soon, um, the nomenclature will change to um, court visitor, but essentially a guardian ad litem is appointed by the court or sometimes in a private action independently um, to investigate the petition or the claim as to whether or not an, indiv- an, ind- an alleged incapacitated person might need guardianship or assistance in some capacity. And it sounds like, you know, as we get further into this conversation, we'll talk about what some of the least restrictive alternatives are as opposed to a full guardianship and where full guardianship makes the most sense for everyone. Okay. So the guardian ad litem piece is that you're an impartial person that's assessing the whole situation, mm-hmm. getting to know the alleged incapacitated um, individual to make the determination as to whether or not limited or full guardianship is in order. Okay. Um, Now, this is a really difficult thing to talk about. And and of course, Randy, we've had this conversation before because you've actually done my estate planning for me. And it was perfect timing because um, you and I met shortly after I fell off my roof. And it was that moment in time where I was just like, holy cow, because um, I buggered myself up pretty well. Mm -hmm. And um, it really scared me in terms of like... Holy, and then of course when I was introduced to you, I was like, I feel like this is a sign. Mm-hmm. I need to get my act together and actually come up with a plan, um, because you know Caleb is high functioning, um, but he will need supports. And I also joke about like the um, relationship leech for him, you know, because he so badly wants friends, and I'm looking long term. He's going to so badly want to have a partner in life, and um, unfortunately, there are people out there that prey upon that, um, you know, that desperation, if you will. And so when we sat down and talked, one of the things that I was saying, so how do we protect, you know, any assets he would have um, from a relationship leech, and then also structure it in terms of, um, you know, protecting his assets so that it wouldn't um, make him ineligible for other programs. And then, um, you know, how if, and so I have a special needs trust. So when I passed away, um, I have life insurance money, and then I have assets from you know the, my property and house. And so then you helped me figure out how to structure it for my neurotypical kids, and then also how Caleb's money will be handed handled. Yes. And it was really interesting. So let's talk about some of the components of what that looks like. Um, you know, Caleb is high functioning, but he just he's going to need management support. Um, and 
some of the things I loved about it is, is that um, he will be able to access the money for things because he may not. The reality is, is that 85% of individuals on the, on the autism spectrum um, are not employed um, at the level that they can be fully independent, even when they're high functioning, okay? So a lot of them have to live with roommates, um, siblings, parents, guardians for the span of their life because they don't make enough money um, just in terms of employment to be able to make all those things happen. Mm -hmm. And so the cool thing about the way that his special needs trust is structured is, is that it will give him some financial support. Right. Um, again, I even loved it where you guys were even thinking about he can access the money for like Christmas presents. Right. Um, so the social and entertainment aspect, yeah. quality of life, yeah, quality of I life. think is extraordinarily important. And you want to spend some time really thinking about you know, how do we want this child as an adult to take vacations and with to the family? Christmas I love that. I never even thought about those things. things. So I was like, holy cow, like that's like things that I never would have thought about. Mm -hmm. um, and again, not comfortable conversations, but nothing about this is, um, is comfortable. I'm going to, Bonnie is with me today. And of course, we have joked in pre previous podcasts that our long term plan is that we'll just live forever um, because it is really scary to be talking about what happens when we're not here and we can't take care of them. Um, and then, you know, of course, so we have many options available, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So today's podcast might be a little bit long because um, I want to make sure that we touch on some of these things, um, just explain some of the details of what, you know, full guardianship looks like, limited guardianship, and then different options if siblings are going to be part of the picture in terms of care and management, and we're going to talk about how um, that guardianship and how some of those things are structured. Sure. Okay. So, Bonnie, let's talk about our plan to live forever, shall we? <laughs> okay. So, uh, we joke because, you know, the plan that you guys have, we've talked about, you have two special needs kiddos. So, let's talk about just in case that somebody is just dialing in today, explain um, your family dynamic. So we have six children. Um, two of them have autism. Um, three of them we are in the middle of adopting. And then we have one biological child that's neurotypical. And so we've talked that some of the plans that you guys have in place is that some of the siblings will be um, taking over care and at least being part of that uh, management in terms of their assets and, and needs if it comes to the point where you and your husband can no longer do that. Right. Okay. And now, how did you have that conversation, like, with your neurotypical kids? I'm just curious because uh, I can explain how it happened in our family, how it came about, but I'm just curious to see um, how, how that conversation happened for you guys. Well, I think first it was a really hard thing for us to realize that um, – for us, our autism journey has been really, really lonely, and it was hard for us to realize that we did not have family members that um, we would foresee um, would take care of the boys. Jackson's higher functioning. You, we don't quite know where he'll be. Is he going to need, you know, what type of assistance is he going to need? Evan's going to have to live with somebody forever. I do not want Evan ever put in a home. That is my number one concern. And so then the next question is, well, where's Evan going to go? Yeah. You know? Um, and so we've just, um, my oldest daughter, we've just kind of, she's 12, and that's a big conversation to have with a 12-year-old. I know, right? Right. Yeah. I, I mean, agree. it is. And so I've uh, we've never, like, said you have to. Mm -hmm. It's just, like, what would you think if you know, Evan lived with you, but you had uh, the supports of the 
uh, we've essentially kind of built a tribe in our own house. Sure. So what I would like to see happen, I don't know which child yet, because a lot of them are young, would step up for the main portion of it. But what I would like to see happen is one of them step up and be the person that he would call that's his home, that's where he lives with. And then the other ones is like the break person for them. How about Evan comes and stays the night with uh, us for a night? Or how about Evan, you know, type of a deal. Um, or, yeah, that you want to go on a vacation. Right. Or right. like on Sundays, they spend the night with this family member, right. so then you have a little bit of a downtime. Yeah, I mean, we are lucky where we do have a lot of children. Um, and so, because I know with us, we don't get that break, and I would never want to um, to put that burden on one of my children where it's like, you know, now your life is just with Evan every day. You know, you never get a break. You never get to do anything. And, and you have to, the reality is what happens when they get married. Yeah. What if their husband You're hoping to God that they're marrying someone. I, and I feel like they're going to. Because when you yeah. raise around right. it, I really feel like you naturally gravitate to other people that can relate to it. But the chances are it may not happen. I mean, you just don't know. Well, and I've noticed that even with friendships with my oldest daughter, when they're invited to our house, if they don't react well to the boys, uh, she doesn't They have don't a get invited again. again. Yeah, she yeah. just doesn't want anything to do with that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that... Now, it's funny because my six-year-old, and I, I think I've shared this with Holly, she was the one that was like, oh, Mom, when you die, I'm taking Evan, and I'm not going to let him have too much computer time because <laughs> I know that makes him go crazy, and <laughs> I'll keep trying to potty train him. I know he's going to get there, and she, like, just keeps oh. going through the whole thing, and I'm like, okay, well, you have it planned out, you know? So... Yeah. They, they all get the, the need for it, um, but, you know, they're never going to realize exactly how much work it is until... Until, you know, yeah, they yeah. are doing it full time for and, sure. And, and I'm not saying, I know some people that that's not fair, you should... The thing is, though, I live in a world where life isn't fair. Yeah. Both of my parents are dead. I took care of both of them until they died. I didn't ask for that. Life yeah. isn't fair. And yeah. sometimes when you have family and you love family, you need to take care of them. Even, you know, it's almost... I don't want my kids to be... I don't want to do that. I want them to be loving and caring and realize that they want to be there for their family and that they want to reach out and help Evan because it's important and because Evan in his own way helps them, you know? Yeah. And I, so I know it does maybe seem like an unfair thing, but I'm hoping that I'm raising the kids to realize the importance of all that. Sure. Now, out of curiosity, Randy, you're sitting here. Is there a rhyme or reason in terms of when, you know, Bonnie, you're lucky enough that you have many children right, right. that can share some of these responsibilities. Is there like a, a standard for like, okay, so one's going to be physically right. caring for their day, but one is in charge of the financial decisions. So, I mean, like, or do you have the financial decisions being made by the person where they're living every day? Like, is there like kind of a standard or kind of what you recommend? No, I think it's very custom because, you know, our families are so unique and the people involved are so unique and in some you know you might have one child who says you know I'm best suited for helping him manage his medical decisions and for the day-to-day -day and caring for self and being at home and and socializing and all of this and another child might step up and say great I will help manage his benefits sure okay because there's all sorts of you know paperwork and documentation and accounting that has to go with that as a representative payee or however yeah, there's you know, things there's, you have to do every year correct or yeah. if you're trustee of a special needs trust for him and so that might 
help everyone to share the load and then nobody feels incredibly taxed. Perfect. Okay, good. That's always good to know because in my mind I'm thinking, well, is there, you know, like kind of a standard of like you never want to have, you know, two people sharing the same, you know, so that's good to know. I, I'm yeah. glad that there's lots of options. Mm -hmm. All right, we're going to mosey around the, the curve of the table here because we have two dads that are joining us. David, let's talk a little bit because you had, you know, you're always... Um, willing to come onto my podcast and talk about these topics, but you mentioned that you hadn't, this isn't something you guys have talked as um, a married couple a lot in terms of what the plan is. So talk about your two children and kind of the dynamics between the two, because I think it helps kind of set the stage for where you're going. Yeah, first of all, um, we had talked, you know, theoretically about what's going to happen with Morgan down the road, but the term legal guardianship just hit me over the head. Like, I'm sure theoretically we had been mentioning it, but the actuality of it coming and it's, you know, in the next decade now, she's going to be 12. Yeah. So the dynamic is she has a younger sister. Morgan is going to be 12. She has autism. Piper is 10 and full of rage for her entire life that she's desperately been seeking the attention of an older sister that has limited to no capacity to want to interact with her or that everything has to be structured according to her rules. So I envision the first opportunity Piper has to get the hell out of that situation is what she's going to want to do. Yeah. Um, so I can't blame her. And at the same time, what I'm hoping and praying for through development of prefrontal cortex and I just know, right? maturity and that kind of thing is once she gets out and I, who can blame her no. yeah. for wanting to just say, thank God I am out of this situation. But once you um, have the benefit of hindsight and, you know, get a taste of the world and everything else, that maybe the empathy and the compassion will come around. It's just not there yet. Right. So um, there's hope and there's, um, you know, we're praying. But at the same time, Meg and I have just kind of come to the conclusion that this will be ours until. Yeah. Um, and we're older parents. I mean, I was 40 when Morgan was born. So. Um, it's great to have this discussion because it's food for thought for things that we really need to start having discussions about right now. Yeah. And I'm going to say too, is that you're absolutely right. It took me falling off the roof and really buggering myself up to really start thinking, oh man, I have to figure something out. But I can't tell you just even in the last month here at the Isaac Foundation, I've had multiple families reach out to me because um, their kiddos are three months or six months or are already over 18 and they've just not, they've been putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, I need to do something and I don't know what to do. And so we're hoping that this podcast kind of helps break it down and um, at least offer some of those suggestions about not waiting until we don't have to wait until their 18th birthday to do some of these things. And the other thing we talked about before we went live was just um, at the age of 13, becomes that medical consent consent for a person. So in other words, when a child reaches the age of 13, they can begin to make medical decisions on their own. And that is so complicated because, you know, when you have a child that's touched by autism or other special needs, they don't have the capacity and um, that executive function, you know, just to be able to understand long-term ramifications for certain decisions. Mm -hmm. And then you're getting locked out in terms of your ability to intervene. 
But Randy, you were talking that there's actually some hope. So tell, ta- there let's talk about that. There is some hope. And I only just heard about it from my sister. So pardon my, my ignorance around it. My sister is a social worker here in town. And she was saying, we were just happened to be talking about that today. And she was saying that there is a new um, state law. I don't know if it's proposed or it is coming out, rolling out in the new year that there might be some options for parents kind of essentially to override or appeal um, the, this issue. Yeah, this issue at 13. So as of right now, what is being done? Really not a whole lot. That's what um, heard. It would essentially take advocacy on the parent's behalf to speak with the medical professional and help them realize that that 13-year-old isn't able, isn't like in a neurotypical way going to be able to see six months, 12 months down the line of accepting or rejecting that proposed medical treatment or therapy. Gotcha. So really it's at the discretion of the medical provider as to whether or not they will interact um, and communicate with the parent. Or if the, if the child is saying, no, I'm not going to, I don't want my parent, I'm 13 and I don't want my parents part of this conversation, that's it. Well, how I've seen it out is That, yes, in its application, that's what it looks like to me, is that unless you have the the nurse or the the doctor or whomever it is agreeing with parent to say, you know, maybe we ought to keep mom and dad in here, or maybe we should, you know, put this off until 15 or whatever it is. That's what we're seeing out in the field. But um, otherwise, I think, you know, you'd have to go in and get some things legal, legal. some legal intervention legal there. Legal intervention. Okay. Well, that is food for thought. So um, it will be interesting, everyone, to see how this yes, is going to Yes, how this out. unfolds. Uh, yeah, exactly. All right. So, John, other token dad that's part of this conversation, let's talk about, explain kind of the dynamic um, with you and your children. So Cooper's 16. He's my middle boy. Um uh, his older brother has said early on that he had an interest of, you know, of taking care of him and, and caring for Cooper, of course. And my thought was to give him the financial ability to do that. Uh, the issue I had just sitting here listening to you talk, Randy, was the resources that I have. I'm, his mom and I aren't together. And I can see a, there, there could be a battle royale for resources that, you know, are for him or decisions to be made for him mm-hmm. in a medical capacity or any other type of capacity. Right. I could see being a problem. Um, I guess my que- the came question I had was, if I have resources set aside for Cooper, do I get to, because they're the resources I'm providing, do I get to delineate what that looks like without having to worry about his mom? Because if we have co-guardianship, mm-hmm. then is she going to have any input into the things that I'm bringing to the table for him? So before you answer that question, can you explain the two different types of guardianship? There's two different types. There's full guardianship, and then there's limited guardianship. So would you mind talking about what that looks like, sure. the differences between the two, and then have you go into answering that question? Right. So guardianship generally, I mean, it's a little bit complicated in that it almost feels like you need a flow chart. I'm a, I'm a visual learner. But in, in a full guardianship of the estate and full guardianship of the person, that is someone that the court has determined the person is incapacitated entirely. That person likely will have lost the ability to make their own will, to get married, to drive, to get a license, to sign contracts, to vote potentially. Um, it's 
significant. You know, we're, we're saying, well, for the most part, you really don't have autonomy. And there's going to be someone or someones who is going to regulate your liberties and your money. So we're, we'll make final decision on where you live, who you see socially, at least to some degree, um, which can be necessary. Yes. I mean, you know, especially when we have a vulnerable, vulnerable adult who's very trusting and loving and assumes that everyone else is too. Yes. Um, and that's not what we see out there. You know, when I go and investigate cases and I see an individual who is living independently and then you learn that he's been assaulted multiple times because people prey on his niceness, um, you know, so then in those kinds of situations, full guardianship does make sense. In a limited situation, you can say, well, you have a guardianship over person in the estate, but we think you should still vote. We think you could still do X, Y, and Z, whatever it is we've come down to and what the physician thinks and everyone involved and who's potentially stepping up to be appointed as guardian. So we might limit it in some way. For others, we might say, actually, I don't think you need a, uh, a guardian over the estate because we have a representative payee managing social security funds and we've got a professional trustee who's managing a special needs trust. So that's your sole sources of income. They're, they're doing just fine. They're professionals in the field, and they're doing the taxes and doing the paperwork, doing the accounting. But we do still think that you would benefit from having a full guardianship over the person to help you make decisions about what, um, what apartment you should rent or if the special needs trust holds a, um, a house for you if it bought a condo or something like that. So there's different ways that you can kind of make it work, and it is very case by case, and I think that's important because no two people are alike. Gotcha. So there's basically, as I understand it, then you you would have someone that's in charge of the estate, and then Cooper could have someone that's in charge uh, who his is guardian of, of his. Yes, indeed. So if you had, so all things being equal, um, if you have an estate plan and you wrote it out so that any assets meant to go to a, a child with special needs, you want to make sure that you've nominated someone to serve as the administrator of that money, a trustee who is not your proposed co-guardian. You know, and that way you've kind of spread it out. Excellent. Gotcha. And you get to be in control of that. So I'm going to ask you one difficult question. Ma'am. When you have limited guardianship, um, or when there's a limited guardianship on a child, can they get married? Depends what the limitation is. Yeah. So far as I've seen it, um, each person has lost the right to marry. Yes, and so I just want to make sure that we are, you know, there. it's so hard. Because it's a contract. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly it. And so I'm just throwing that out because it's one of those things where, you know, my son, Caleb, is, you know, very high functioning, but I really, and, and again, we are hoping and we're planning and we are putting all the things in place that he can, you know, like achieve everything right. and may not need to have any guardianship whatsoever, right. but we still have to, you know, be prepared for the situation right. where he would need some limited um, limited guardianship. Right. Now, to the extent if you have someone who hasn't lost all ability to make competent decisions or think through and impulse control and all of that, potentially a lesser restrictive alternative would be to serve alongside someone as a, with and nominate them as a power of attorney. Gotcha. 
and then they would still retain the right to marry and the right to vote. And Again, because, I, yeah, you don't want to make a decision that it's going to then impact their ability to actually get married should they really find a good match. And so that's something I've always mentally struggled with is mm -hmm. that making sure that I understand all of these things so then that way I'm not um, doing something um, that would negatively impact some of, like, those adult things that we as neurotypical people mm -hmm. um, enjoy. So um, so thank you for clarifying that. Yep. So um, back to you, John, because you had a question. But I, um, who, what is your guys' plan for Cooper as he gets older in terms of who will take care of him? Well, like I mentioned, uh, Logan, his older brother, has uh, exhibited that, uh, you know, or, or expressed interest in, in doing that, Was that a specific conversation that you had, or is it just something <laughs> that he just has taken that on? You know, I've kind of broached the subject a little bit with him. You know, the thing is, is in, and Bonnie, you probably see this as well, you, with your six-year-old daughter, uh, the kiddos that are the siblings of the special needs have a tendency to mature quite a bit quicker than the, a lot of, you know, kids their own age. So they accept responsibility pretty early. Or, like my daughter, she's she's not really there like you had mentioned and it's and it's funny because I think they can get there but it seems like girls are a little different in that world some sometimes um Kelly I would say with Caleb is more mother yeah I hen. feel like we're gonna have a big all drop down drag out fight because you know they're just you they're know they're all pining yeah it's and it's just because for different reasons um you know things I love about Tyler and his relationship with Caleb is is that um uh you know like when I hear Caleb and Tyler talking about um, when they're adults and they're living together because you know that's Tyler's plan is that well he's going to live with me. Number one, he's not living with his mom. Do you know how uncool that would be? Have to for him to have to say to his friends, like, "Yeah, hold on, I got to check with my mom." Like that's stupid, mom. That's not going to happen. He's sounds way better if you say, "Oh yeah, yeah, I totally come over. I'll let my bro know." Yeah, okay, Tyler. But with that being said, you know he's already you know telling Caleb, you know, hey. You know, you're going to have to have a job, so you better start thinking of a plan because you're not going to not have a job, dude, because that's just not going to happen. And whereas I feel like with Sissy, you know, his younger sister, um, you know, she's that mother hen where it's just kind of like, oh, you know, she's in making his top ramen. It's like, you know, how about actually showing Caleb how to make the top ramen? You know what I mean? Uh, well, you know, it's just that he likes it a certain way, so it's just better if I do it for him. And it's like, oh, okay, you know what? You know, that's not a long-term plan. And she's she's nine, and Caleb is going to be 12 here in January. And so I actually, but yet, I do feel like Tyler um, may be just, you know, uh, and, and maybe this is good. Maybe he's pushing him in those things. You know, I don't know that Tyler has a realic, realistic expectation of what this could look like because of that executive function and how much you have to micromanage some of those elements of um, executive function, which is planning, organization, time management, prioritizing, um, you know, impulse control, things like that. Whereas, uh, again, partly because Tyler, he himself, has some of those similar issues. I don't know that he's going to realize all of the scaffolding that has to go into place. Um, whereas then my daughter, she is too much scaffolding. It's just kind of like, oh, I'll just do all these things for you. I'll just tell you exactly what to do, when to do it, how to do it, and life will be good. And Caleb's perfectly fine allowing sister to handle those things and just dictate those things to him. And so, you know, and again, she's nine. I'm sure that things will look much different. But then there's that guilt for 
for me in terms of, you know, like, I have to do everything possible so that he maybe, you know, we talked about 85% of individuals um, having to live with a parent, caregiver, or siblings for the span of, I don't, I don't want him to be in that 85%. I would love him to be able to live, um, you know, independent and, and be able to earn a wage that he can have those things. But thanks to Randy, I have still supports in place. And so let's talk about the special needs trust elements because, um, again, Kayla's money is structured different than the other two. Right. Um, and so there was you, there was language in his special needs trust so that if he is able to prove certain things, and he, um, so like the employment, if he's able to maintain employment for 24 consecutive months where he's able to support 100% of his living expenses, and there was a few other things in there, then he could petition to have it basically removed, and then he would then be able to have access to his money um, as the other children do after, I think we put 35, because we figured their first marriage is already going to crash and burn by then. So, like, you know, money will be safe by then. I mean, because I'm planning. I'm planning ahead, right? <laughs> so, you know, I mean, like, real deal. Like, yeah. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm planning ahead. Um, but that's actually gave me a lot of comfort is, is that the language that you provided in that document is just that, okay, so I'm still hoping for the best. Right. And there's, you know, an exit strategy should he, you know, surpass all of our expectations. But there's the comfort in knowing that he'll be okay. Okay. Right. Yeah. Right. So, um, so one of the um, the characteristics of a special needs trust is that ultimately, so if, so if I'm the beneficiary of the special needs trust, the money is never mine. It's never in my name. And the reason that I don't want it in my name is because I w I don't want to be disqualified from Social Security benefits or Medicaid or any of those things that, as you all know, are resource based, right? And so if my parent left me half a million dollars, say, from sale of a house or a life insurance proceed or whatever, then the trust document or the will document, whatever the basis of your estate plan says, and Randy's portion goes into the special needs trust, I've nominated Sally to be the trustee, and so Sally's going to figure out my budget and then pay my rent on my behalf. Never is she going to give me money to me in my name because that would then be included as an overall resource accounting. Yeah, very true. And, you know, things that we also talked about too, which was that aha moment. This is why it really is helpful to get someone that has knowledge of estate planning when you have special needs dependents and then, of course, guardianship, all of that. So I really value your expertise here. But you also pointed out that I don't have to, you know, Bonnie, like what you're saying, life is not fair. So, you know, there are instances where it's appropriate to allocate more funds to the child the ch or the children yeah. that have more needs For and sure. less money to your neurotypical ones. And so it feels like, oh, my gosh, like I'm ripping off my other children. But really, when you think about it, is they're You're gonna, equalizing the children. You're equalizing, exactly. And that's just it. And so it was really helpful to get that perspective of, like, again, life's not fair. And so, and if they really start thinking about this special needs loved one, the other siblings would probably recognize that, yeah, you know what, I'm totally good with that because, you know, their life looks different than what my life looks like. Right. So I have earning capacity that my sibling does not. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And that's just it. So um, again, I can't say how much I definitely recommend consulting with, you know, special estate planners or attorneys that do estate planning, especially when we're talking about special needs dependents. It's because it is different. It's not. It's totally different. And a lot of times we'll get 
panicked calls in the office from adult siblings saying, um, you know, the last remaining parent passed away. So let's say dad was the second to die. Okay, well, dad's estate, they left lots of money all to the special needs brother. He's been on social security. He's 40 years old now, and he's just been kicked off and received a $100,000 overpayment from social security because they wrote it in his name. He was the beneficiary of the life insurance. He, he received you know, something directly. And now we're going to spend time and lots of money trying to claw his way back into eligibility land. And that's just it. And something as simple as getting an estate plan in place, done. it's done. I don't even have to think about, like Caleb is never going to have to worry about. Um, he will never be disqualified. He will never be disqualified because we took the time preemptively to make sure that there's a document there uh, protecting him from that. Right. The other thing that, it, it's interesting that you say this too, is that... Um, you know, we take, we, we push off this uncomfortable discussion because, again, it's a lot of information. It requires, um, you know, having to research and know and understand, you know, what the whole picture looks like. So I'm hoping this podcast helps. But, you know, one of the things that you just touched on right now is, is that, um, you know, we are actually, Isaac Foundation is, is seeing now where you have, you know, special needs um, individuals that are adults, been living with mom and dad for their whole life, um, all as well until somebody gets cancer or just, you know, unexpectedly passes away. And now we have not a solid plan for what's going to happen to that person without mom or dad there who has been the guardian. And so we've been asked to go in and do training for some of the, um, the homeless shelters here in the region because we're seeing more and more adults um, entering the homeless system because they don't have the funding or the employment to be able to support themselves. Um, and there was no documents in place talking about estate and all of that sort of thing. They lost eligibility, um, you know, a variety right. of different things. And then they enter the um, homeless situation, the homeless shelters. And there are programs, but they're being victimized in that environment because, again, they're being preyed upon because they don't have you know, the emotional, cognitive understanding of predators. Um, and it's just, it's awful. It is absolutely awful. So, you know, it does, it is an investment when you go and see an attorney for estate planning. But I have to tell you, um, I did a payment plan. And I'm telling you what, I don't regret it. I, you know, it's just so much more, com it was uncomfortable. I cried a lot when I was having to go through all those worksheets. Um, but the peace of mind knowing that there's a plan and he's going to be okay um, is just worth three times as much money. Um, and I think it's also helpful for the neurotypical siblings to know. to know what you want, to know what you envision. Let's not also make them guess. So when we're doing, um, so in our office, we record interviews with the parent or parents, and we say, what do you envision this to look like? What are the kinds of things that you would want this money spent towards? What does that life look like for your child as you envision it presently? Like, help them understand what's important to you and for a potential guardian, because they want to do what you want. You just got to tell them. So for clarity purposes, because if I have the question, I would imagine people out there yes. also have the question for clarity purposes, because these are some great revelations that I'm going to immediately talk to my wife about. Because just normal terminology for me out there, um, 
people approach me about an estate plan. I'm like, I have a will. But what you just said is, um, that's great. But if I declare, you know, at somewhere along the way that she inherits the money in her name, there are so many limitations to that, as opposed to having an estate plan where instead of going to her, it goes into a trust of some kind so that the trustee gets the money. It doesn't go directly to her. So she still gets all the benefits of things like social security. Meanwhile, you have this trustee over here empowered with the money and the plan. You got That's, it. 100%. I mean, good God. Not only that, but I could also see avoiding the conflict with the siblings because the siblings probably at some point could be like, well, you should have just entrusted me with that. But do they really want that responsibility considering all the other responsibilities they have and how are they going to allocate it properly and that kind of thing? So, And it doesn't have to be another sibling. Mm -hmm. So we only have two kids, right? So then you kind of run out of siblings at some point. And so you can also choose a professional trustee. And so that way your child with special needs isn't having to go to the sibling and saying, hey, I'd like a new television. And the sibling is having to say, no, I, I don't think you should spend that money. Or I'm only going to buy you this one. Or on the condition that, that you can end up with some sibling rivalry, as is just human dynamics. Yeah. And instead, you have a professional who's saying, well, hey, OK, you know, it's been three years since you got a television show. Sure, yeah, and I probably television. didn't explain it clearly that. But that removes the burden from the sibling. Sure. Because right. you're right, you're going to have that. And then are they going to allocate it properly? And the burden's on them when they have so many other responsibilities already in their life. And you've got this professional sitting over there who that's their business. Yeah, right. You know? Well, and like, so my dad um, had uh, severe mental health issues. And really, um, he should not have been able to take care of himself. And when my grandma died, um, she left um, him money to uh, that um, one of my aunts could allocate. And I, I was, I see what you're saying. The importance of maybe pulling it away from family mm -hmm. because the amount it was supposed to last him his whole life. And the amount of money that she would give him for these things that he did not need and he couldn't understand that he didn't need them. And uh, before you knew it, you know, five years after my grandma dies, there's no money left. And now, guess what? Now dad's living with me, right. you know. And um, so I can see the importance well, of that for sure. And it's hard to say no, you know, also. For sure. And so they keep coming back. And and the reality on this, too, is, is that what we're talking about is very similar to what happens when you have an aging parent who can no longer take care of themselves, okay. right? It's very, very similar. Yeah. It's just that it's, it's different that we're having to put these things in place when they're young. No, because we also want to think as parents that we're going to live to 70, 80, sure. 90. Yeah, until and I fell off the roof, I had that very thought. Right. I was going to live for and, forever. And I, too, will maintain capacity through all of those years until I die in my sleep and that'll be it but the reality is that if I die at 40 and my kids are still super young okay now who's who of my peers is going to take up that charge yes and spending and investing wisely for them perfect yeah so one other question oh did you have something Jeff? I did so uh Randy the professional um guardian trustee trustee, trustee yeah. professional trustee or guardian sorry I didn't want to put words in your mouth yeah either way um so are they trained? I guess so. A sibling wouldn't be trained in long-term financial planning, mm, right? I mean, it could be, but honestly, I'm right. going to say that they're not going to. Sure. Be. Right. And I can see, like David said, where, you know, the end issues with siblings can be a problem on a personal level. Yeah. Um, but 
you know, also their lack of knowledge of what's needed down the road and what financial planning down the road is going to have to look like the professional would probably have that kind of training? The trustee's job, generally speaking, is making sure that the money lasts. They're prudently investing, they're prudently spending with the idea that certainly as for all of us, as we age, potentially our our medical, dental need, you know, those, those cost of care needs are going to increase. They want to try to make that last as long as it possibly can. And failing that at least going along the way in these milestones that our standard of living and quality of life is as you've, you know, raised your children to become accustomed, things that they should have. Um, so that's what a trustee does. They're a fiduciary. It's their job to to be wise with the money. Um, and so where you could all, they can work in tandem with a guardian of the estate. And that guardian's going to have more of that emotion, if you will. And, and they put their heads together. And now you've got this round table of advisors saying, hey, um, you know, Evan is really into photography. And I'd like to offer him, um, you know, some classes in, in photo editing or something. So I'd like to put that into the budget. Great. That's what we're going to do. I think it's a harder situation to think about because, like, we always think about when we're older, mm -hmm. a sibling taking, you know, but say me and Jason die in a car crash tomorrow. Right. Now we have six kids that are all underage. Now who's going to take care of those kids? Right. So, And those are obviously things we don't want to think about, but really it's so scary. I don't want them all funneled off into different houses. Right. and um, But when you choose to have a large family, is somebody going to take on six kids, especially with two of them having special needs? It's, yeah. it's such a scary, yeah, they're hard. They're, yeah. they're not easy, but I think it's up to us as parents to take that responsibility from our children's shoulders. For like, sure. Let's not have them watch our family fight over them or each other. Um, be it over money or over whose whose house they're sleeping in, I think it's our job to to be in charge of those things as uncomfortable as it all is. I'm not super into statistics and all of that, but the one that I do know is that one in seven children that are ages 20 and under lose a sibling or a, a parent. So that just that number in itself, one in seven of those families are touched by the loss of a parent or sibling. That means that this conversation that we're having about immortality or living to a you know a ripe old age, it's just not the reality for a lot of families. No, it's not. Well, I mean, look at me. So, I mean, I've already lost one child. So let's talk real quick before we wrap up. Yeah. I think this has a ton of great information that's going to really get people thinking and mm -hmm. understanding what's going on and what's uh, what needs to be done. Um, you know, as I mentioned, I had my um, estate plan done, gosh, about a year ago, a year and a half ago. Um, and so Caleb was 10, 11-ish. And, um, and again, the money is not there and present at the moment because, you know, most of his, um, the funding is going to be funded through, you know, life insurance mm -hmm. and assets. Um, but when we're talking about we obviously know everybody should have a will because, again, you know, it's you're kind of rolling the dice if you don't, and then other people have to make really hard decisions. When we're starting to plan out, like special needs trust, we should, as an element of your will, that's an element that you're factoring into all of that. When do we really need to be working on guardianship and start that process rolling when we're talking about, um, you know, because I do have some families that are panicking, 
they were trying to do it themselves, realized that the legal process for getting guardianship for your child is actually much more complicated than you would have thought. It's not just, you know, I, I think it's in our mindset. It's like, well, I mean, look at them. It's very obvious mm -hmm. that they, you know, don't have a, you know, they're not functioning at more than a five-year-old level or four-year-old level in some instances um, at the age of, 18 and 19 so I have a lot of parents that are panicking because it's like they haven't done it but they just now encountered a situation where it's like okay so you know my daughter is or my son or daughter is 19 or 20 and we've just had our first instance of like we don't have any documentation that shows that we are her legal guardian mm -hmm. so um, is there a kind of a standard or a rule of when you really should be starting to get this stuff done or no. in the works because of how long it takes for it to get finish from beginning to end. Right. So that's really the biggest part is how long it can potentially take. And theoretically, so let's say you have a child that's 18. I mean, that child doesn't have to agree. And then if it's contested, they have a right to an attorney to represent them. And maybe then we're going to a trial. And that might then take months and months and months. And so you really have to have this conversation at your dinner table early and often. And so if you think you might end up with a child who's like, heck no, digging in their heels, and we're at 17, 17 and a half, maybe we need to get the ball rolling faster. But if you know you have a child that's that knows that they need that help. They, they can't even express. They can't even express that, that they, sure, let's, I mean, maybe a couple, three months before 18th birthday, because we know might be relatively more seamless than yes. someone who's going to contest it and be like, heck no, I don't need you as my guardian mom. Thank gotcha. Okay. Much. So what I'm hearing then is if it's something where it's very obvious the child is never going to be able to express or communicate, sure. then it's... On 16th birthday, let's not worry. On 16th like birthday, we're not worrying about it. But when we're talking about, like, for instance, Caleb, where we're going to have to be having some of these conversations, we may have to be start having these conversations right. starting as early as 16, 17, yes. 18, and then be prepared if we're getting resistant from our child, resistance yes. from our child, that we may have to get that ball rolling more at 17 right. because... It might take some time before it's ultimately resolved. So if it's not resolved when they turn 18, what happens then? Well, then they'll be presumed competent. Until? Until something until else. ordered otherwise. Okay, wow. So much scariness, right? I have to be honest with you. It's like every time, no offense, Randy, you're my most terrifying friend. Yeah. Because like, <laughs> it's like the sad reality is like, oh shit. I mean, really, it's I the, really don't you're my oh shit friend. Like, bring the oh shit. I really want to person, I want to be the person to bring options, yeah. you know, because it's never just one way. Yeah. And so it's like, let's have the conversation about your family and what, what options your family has. I would rather have the oh shit now than the oh shit in six years. Oh my goodness, so, right? Yeah, yes. Because this has been absolutely revealing. So yeah. thank you. Absolutely. One of the things you guys can't appreciate either, she's dressed as the Queen of Hearts yes, right now. Nobody can see this. Okay. So I've got an authority in the room who's dressed as the Queen of Hearts. It's, it's, yeah, it's really, it's really hard to take oh, you seriously. Oh, hail. <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, obviously this is going to go out after Halloween, but you were volunteering some time today. You want to explain what you were doing? Yes. Today? So, uh, Today being what, October 26th, um, my law firm is co-hosting um, The Vein Drain, 
the how appropriate the um, vein yes, the drain. annual blood drive at the Vitalant Blood Center in honor of my dad who's battling leukemia. Yeah, so that's awesome that you're doing that. So she came. She's you know queen of hearts because it goes very well with the theme of do blood donation. Indeed. So Indeed. yeah, you could imagine my surprise when she got out of her car out front <laughs> and I was like, wait. Oh, Who are you? Oh, hey, Randy, you look different. Right. You well, know, Randy was, also has yeah. just a signature curly hair that you can't yeah. miss her because she has the most amazing curly hair. Um, it's like none other I've ever seen. So like when you're, I was like, I don't know who this person is that's <laughs> confronting me in front of the office building. Yeah, so. You know, we're all very underdressed. We so. are, right? <laughs> She's wearing this beautiful gown, a just flaming red wing, uh, wig with a, a, a crown. So, but you definitely are the queen in this subject for uh, yes, sure. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining me. Absolutely. I'm going to, when we publish this podcast, I'm going to put your contact information um, within the post. So then wait, people, if you have more questions, um, I highly recommend Randy. Like I said, I had my um, my estate planning stuff done, and like I said, it's not anything I wanted to talk about. Cried a lot of rivers, um, just because it's so uncomfortable and hard, and you don't know what the future is going to look like. And you know, and the nice thing is you can update them. And yes. if you change your mind on something or things are looking better down the road, you yeah. can modify it. But. Right. Um, a lot of um, comfort in knowing at least there's those documents in place. So thanks for joining me. Thank you guys for joining me, too, because like I said, this is not one of those funny har-har um, episodes that we've recorded in the past. But I think hopefully everybody will have some valuable information to start thinking about um, steps they have to take. Sure. So, all right. Well, we will wrap this episode up of Isaac's Autism Wild. And that's it for now. If you want to be notified of our next podcast release, be sure to hit subscribe. And just remember, we're all in this together. So find your tribe and hold them tight.